0: Welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church this morning. Just curious, does anyone like the sun as much as I do? Uh, the only good thing about having seven months of winter this year is we can truly understand what, uh, what the spring as a metaphor for the resurrection is all about. And uh, we can feel that this week for sure. I'd like to extend a very special welcome to my cousins, Paul and Linda from Massachusetts, and to anyone else. Uh, Who is in our congregation this morning? Who is joining us to worship? And we want you to feel right at home. And I want to give you a very warm and sunny welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church this morning. Would you please stand with me this morning and join me in the responsive call to worship? Joyful is the sound we make this morning. Thankful is the song we sing. Hopeful is the prayer on our lips. May the peace and presence of Christ be known among us. For Please pray with me. Father, it is true that sometimes we go through long, long periods in our lives where it seems that it is so dark and cold and and uh, you are so far away from us and yet it is a wonderful promise that we have this resurrection season that you are faithful and you will be there for us in our time of need and we celebrate you and your relationship and your unconditional love for us this season and let us revel in that truth and knowledge this day and remind ourselves once again what a miraculous wonderful thing is that the resurrected Lord cares for each one of us as his own child and we think about that today and we thank you for that today in your precious name amen
1: Before you're seated, uh, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. Just a a couple of things I want to mention uh, in the life of our church. uh, We have had the practice over the last few years of spending some time praying for our graduates. And we are doing that once again this year next Tuesday beginning at 6 a.m. and going for 36 hours to Wednesday at 6 p.m. We will be setting aside time in the prayer room. And we'd love to have you come, sign up for an hour or more, uh, and uh, pray for our graduates, high school and college. And I know that high school is still a little ways off, but uh, we want to pray for them together. Be, we have a list of all the names of the graduates and uh, prayer guides to help you through that. Or just come and, and pray about your own burdens and needs as well. But we'd love to fill out that 30, those 36 hours in, t- in prayer for our, uh, our seniors. And you remember, many of you, the uh, anxiety of uh, the joy of graduating and then the anxiety of what's happening next. And so this is a way that we can support them and encourage them uh, as, a, as a body of believers as we pray together. Also, uh, we have been uh, moving forward in the remodeling project of the offices. We're getting close to being done. Uh, we're sort of all half moved in. And uh, But this morning, if you'd like to take do a walkthrough, uh, feel free to do so. They look wonderful and appreciate everyone's help in uh, making that happen. And uh, we are very grateful for, uh, these, uh, for the new offices and all the additions of them. And also, we are uh, also in need of some folks who can help with nursery and children's church during the summer months. It's an opportunity to uh, practice love for our little ones and uh, sharing Christ with them. If you can help, there's forms in the back and sign-up sheets. And or talk to one of us or call the office and we'll get you connected. And we appreciate in advance those of you who are able to help with our children's ministries.
2: Good morning. The pastors and your missions committee hope to present a monthly mission spot reports videos guest speakers and such in order to keep our congregation current with what God is doing here and around the world i drew the short straw so to speak to start the ball rolling this week with a uh, report on our 2015 faith promise you recall that in february during our missions week we kicked off the 2015 faith promise drive these white cards were available And uh, distributed. To date, we have 31 promises totaling, as of today, $23,000. Over 5,000 in cash has already come in in those faith promises. So we praise God for that. And that's actually very encouraging considering how low key we presented the faith promise in February. What are faith promises? Faith promises are prayerful commitments to give above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings as we trust God to provide in order to extend our church's outreach and Kingdom of God work uh, beyond our normal church budget. The Missions Committee is just now completing our budget proposal for the elders for the regular budget for the May meeting that you are all welcome to attend. And there are real people and projects that we trust God will help us provide for, which we can't put into the regular budget. So, for the first time, we are amending the faith promise to include direct support of some workers from our local church. Zach and Aaron Smalley serve full-time and year-round at Crossbar X Ranch in Colorado. They are our hands and feet to reach out to special and troubled teens in Colorado and actually from other places. So, our faith promise goal for 2015 is being amended or readjusted for a bit larger goal than projected back in February. We believe that God has more folks amongst us who would be able to make a faith promise for the remainder of this calendar year up till December. So, I welcome and invite you to grab a card there on the table in the back foyer and return it during the next few weeks if you might be one of those people or families who would like to join in. I want to add a personal note, not because we're saintly or so much of a genius. My wife and I went ahead and made a faith promise in February, even though our income was a bit iffy and reduced. Then, unexpected bills arrived. They always do, don't they? But God was faithful, and he surprised us with a much different tax return than we expected, and we've already been able to pay our faith promise. Now what do we do? (laughs) God is good, and I just invite you for the remainder of this calendar year, if you haven't taken a faith promise, to join us and uh, maybe renew or update uh, your faith promise so that we can extend God's work from our local church. God bless you.
1: Please join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask for your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, and have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God. In your loving kindness, in your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Amen.
0: The Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23. Moses and the glory of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with me and join in the Gloria Patri as the ushers come forward. Mm. Heavenly Father, thank you for not condescending to us and treating us like pathetic little creatures. Thank you for trusting in us enough and investing in us enough to let us participate uh, with you in fixing up this world. Let us, as we give our tithes and offerings today, uh, feel joyful and gratitude as we give generously. In your name, amen.
1: Our Savior invites us to come to him with our burdens and our concerns. As we pray together this morning, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Most gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We're reminded of the price Jesus paid that we might be reconciled to you. We are also reminded in this season of Easter that Christ conquered death and the grave. And we rejoice and give thanks. And it is in the spirit of the risen Christ that we offer our prayers today. Father, we pray for this world in which we live with all of the problems and difficulties and struggles of this world. We think of our brothers and sisters who face every day opposition, threats, persecution, even death. We pray that you would protect them And wrap your arms of mercy around them and encourage them. We pray for people who are serving you in other places of the world. And today we pray especially for Zach and Aaron as they work at the ranch in Colorado. And we ask that you will give them wisdom and compassion and grace to minister to young people in crisis times of need. We pray that you would encourage them this day and in the days ahead, and may they see fruit from their service. Father, we think of the needs that we represent here. We come from a week of joys and sorrows, successes and failures, and we come with the needs of our lives. We pray for Eric Curry and his family at the death of his father and ask that your comforting presence would be with them. We pray for all who are grieving today and the many ways in which grief enters our lives. We pray for those who are wrestling with issues of health. Beulah Avery, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, for Tim Nichols, Isla Shea, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler. Pray for Derek Maston, who has gone through emergency surgery this week and is still in the throes of recovery and ask that you would heal him. And Father, for the other needs that we represent today, whatever form they may take, we ask for your merciful grace in each situation. Lord, as the semester at the college, college is coming to a close, there are uh, there's excitement about concluding and there is also anxiety about next steps and finishing everything that needs to be done. We ask for your mercy upon faculty, staff, and students. And we pray that these next few weeks will not just be about accomplishing things but also about nurturing relationships and about committing anew our hearts to you. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and for your grace. Be glorified as we continue in our worship this morning and in all that we do. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and the one who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together.
0: Please stand if you are able and join me in the New Testament reading of the gospel and remain standing for the hymn to follow. I'll be reading from John chapter 20 verses 19 through 23. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, They are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please be seated. What comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian? When someone says, I'm a follower of Jesus, what image comes to you? What ideas, what thoughts, what words come to you? Whether you are a proclaimed follower of Jesus or not, I would say everyone in this country and certainly people who are sitting here this morning have some idea, some image of Christian. It may be positive, it may be negative, it may be something in between or a little of both, but some idea, some image of Christian comes to you. And I think there is something of that question of what it means to be Christian that is embedded into this passage that we've read here from John's gospel. This is still the first Easter day. In that morning, Mary goes to the tomb early, probably with some other women. They find the stone rolled away. She runs back, gets Peter and John. They race to the tomb and they look in. The grave clothes are there. Jesus is not Scratch their heads wondering what has happened. And Peter and John leave. Mary stays. She has a conversation with angels and then Jesus. And then he says, go tell my disciples. And she runs back and tells them. And now it's evening. And John says that the disciples are locked in a room because they are afraid of the Jews. Can you blame them? I mean, the people who have crucified Jesus... What would make them think that those same people aren't going to come after the closest associates of Jesus? They're afraid. You and I would be afraid. You and I would lock the doors, probably double lock the doors. And in the midst of that, Jesus appears. It's no wonder Jesus says, Peace be unto you, because I'm sure they're beginning to freak out. You know, I mean who expects a dead person to come to life again? You know, we look at it and think, why didn't they know it was Jesus? If someone happened to you, would you believe it? It, It's it's the most astounding thing they could ever experience. And here is Jesus, and he shows them his hands and his side, and they realize this is Jesus. And so that moment, I can imagine the disciples saying, okay, Jesus, this is awesome. Let's just sit down, and we'll just hang out together. And it'll just be us. And we, don't, we can keep the doors locked, it doesn't matter. Maybe we'll go grab a few family members, but it's just us, and this is going to be awesome. We'll build a little village outside of the city, and, and we'll just hunker down, and we'll put walls around it, and it'll just be us. It's the human temptation. Maybe they were thinking, okay, Jesus, this is awesome, Jesus is alive. What's that going to mean for us after we die? But Jesus has other plans, other ideas for them. And he says to them, I have come back to speak to you. I have been resurrected. I'm appearing before you for one reason. As the father sent me to you, I'm sending you to the world. The message of the resurrection is never, let's see how tightly we can draw the circle and everybody be safe. The message of the resurrection is always, who can we tell? Where can we go? How can we share the message? It's the same thing he says to Mary at the tomb, go and tell my disciples. Now he says to the disciples, go and tell everybody else. And what it means to be Christian is somehow wrapped up in this idea of going and telling that Jesus is risen. Now each of the gospels give us some form of this idea that Jesus appears and now people are to go and tell. But they all describe it in a little bit different ways. And in John's gospel... Jesus' message, what what they are to do as they go out, is one thing. Is I'm sending you for this purpose. If you forgive people's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive their sins, they're not forgiven. Now that's a tough one. Because... At face value, it sounds like Jesus is saying, we hold the power of forgiveness for other people's sins. People who are followers of Jesus, it seems like he's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus and you say that person's sins are forgiven, they are. And if you say they're not, they're not. I mean, on face value, that sounds like what he's saying. Now, of course, if you know much of the Bible, you're scratching your head thinking, that doesn't sound right. Because scripture tells us again and again, only God can forgive sins. Salvation comes only through Jesus. People can only be set free from their sins through the grace of God. We don't have the power to say your sins are forgiven and it's done. So what's he saying? What's he telling us? What's the point of it? I think what he's saying is, I want you to go to each other. And I want you to go to other people and be my agents of forgiveness. I want you to go and be a catalyst for people to accept my forgiveness. I want you to tell people how I want to set them free from their sins. How I want to give them the life they were created to have. How they can experience life and joy and peace and love and grace. And all the things that deep in our hearts human beings are yearning to experience... I want you to be the means through which people understand who I am and what I've done for them in Christ. You be agents of forgiveness. I think it's the same thing Paul is saying when he writes to the church at Corinth in the second chapter, in the second letter. When he says, God who reconciled us to himself through Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though he were making the appeal through us. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means to be an ambassador through whom the appeal of Christ about reconciliation is made. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus uses forgiveness as the basis for what we are to do because it's at the heart of what Jesus does. Jesus comes to forgive sins. Jesus comes and in that forgiveness, he comes to set us free from our sins and to reconcile us with God. And without forgiveness, we're chained we're enslaved. We're weighed down with the burdens of our sins and our failures and all the ways in which we have become disconnected from God. And Jesus comes so that we might have reconciliation with God, so that we might be restored to relationship with God. And the importance of that is that it's only in relationship with God that we can know life as we were created to know it. And Jesus comes to offer that, and now we Come to each other and to the world as agents, as channels, as the means for people to understand that and to experience that. It's a, it's a high calling. It's a glorious calling to say we are agents to bring good news to people. It's also a huge responsibility. And sometimes we shirk from it. Sometimes we get so enamored with ourselves, both individually and corporately, that we don't really do that much with everybody else. We're just thinking about how I can survive, how we can survive. And quite frankly, if you boil it down, it implies we're not all that concerned about anybody else. They're on their own. I got enough stuff to figure out. Way I am. We have enough stuff to figure out. We don't have time to mess with other people. Sometimes in the back of our minds, we are thinking maybe these people aren't really deserving of God's forgiveness. I bet if we thought about it for a couple of minutes, maybe it wouldn't take a couple of minutes. We could come up with some people, some names of people that we don't think are deserving of God's forgiveness. Maybe it's because we're afraid people are going to take advantage of it. That people are going to, we're, we're going to say, look, in Christ you're forgiven and they're going to accept that and they just go on doing what they want to do. And they keep coming back to it again and again. And maybe we're hesitant to offer forgiveness, to be means of forgiveness because people are just going to take advantage of it. Here's the honest truth the irony of that kind of thinking is that that's exactly what God could say to you and me. Who of us is deserving of God's forgiveness? And who of us hasn't taken advantage of God's forgiveness? And sometimes it's just fear. We're afraid, we're worried. If I give away too much of myself, if I spend too much time with other people, you know, I'm not going to get what I want. Sometimes it's hard. A couple weeks ago, there was an op-ed piece in the New York Times written by Peter Werner. Uh, And it was, um, was, he's an evangelical who is talking about, uh, was talking about the, the state of the evangelical church in the world and some of the things that we've done. And, what, and he talked about the, the public persona, at least of some of the evangelical church in the world. And he said that since the mid-1970s, one persona of the evangelical church, unfortunately, probably the persona that the media has latched on to most, is this sense of, of the church at war with the culture. And, and it, it comes out as the goal of the church, the purpose of the church is to squash the culture, to crush the culture, to, uh, to condemn the culture so that people will turn to God. And he said when he talks to the leaders of the evangelical church, all of them admit it's not working very well. We're losing the battle. And many people in, in sensing the loss ratchet up the condemnation. And he suggests that maybe there's another way to think about this. Instead of feeling as though and sensing that we're at war with the culture and we're trying to crush the culture and that's our calling, maybe an alternative view is to be present in the culture to love the culture. And to love people and to care for people and to be an influence in the in the world. And to and to To try to influence culture, not by crushing it, but by loving people. And that means that we are going to be going out into the world and into places where people might be indifferent or even hostile to the gospel. But who needs it more than people who are indifferent or hostile to the gospel? And he says, I think the church has the choice. We can either be a court that hands down sentences of judgment. Or we can be a field hospital in the edge of the battle. Now, that doesn't mean that we simply say to, to the world and to each other, it doesn't matter how you live. God doesn't care. You know, it's just it's gonna be all right. Just do whatever you want. God's fine, don't worry about it. Not at all. Because Jesus doesn't just say, if you forgive people their sins, they're forgiven. He also says, if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, if it were me and I were writing this, I think I'd leave off the second clause. It would make interpreting this passage a whole lot easier. I have a book in my library, Hard Sayings of the Bible. This is such a hard saying, they don't even put it in that book. (laughs) I went to the book, I'm like, are you kidding me? It's not in the book. What what more could be more difficult to try to understand than that? And people have all kinds of theories. Most of the time, writers in this part of John just ignore it. Just act like it's not there. Because it's hard. What do you do with that? What exactly does that mean? And as I said, there are a variety of theories, but it seems to me that there are at least a couple of things going on here. One is there is, it speaks to the responsibility we have to be the presence for Christ in the world. Because in a sense, if we don't become channels of forgiveness for people, how will they ever be forgiven? How will they ever know? Isn't that what Paul says? If people don't go and tell them, how will they know? But there is also a part of this that reminds us that God doesn't ignore sin. God doesn't just look at evil and say, well, that's the way they are. God is serious about sin and evil. It is not a call to, this call to be agents of forgiveness is not a call to just say, we're just going to let whatever happened happen. It doesn't make any difference. Live however you want. Do whatever you want. God doesn't care. Because the reality is people who are living stuck in their sins are in bondage to sin. And more than that, they are cut off from God, their creator. And if anyone is ever going to experience joy and peace and life and all that we were created to experience, we need to be reconciled to our creator. And that's why Jesus comes and goes to the cross. and it's serious because there are people who come to the place of saying I don't want to have anything to do with God as Lewis describes him in the great divorce there are two kinds of people in the world those who say to God your will be done and those God said to whom God says God says to them your will be done Jesus tells the disciples in Luke 10 when they go out uh, and, and bearing witness to him. And he says to them, if, a, if a people in a town reject your message, then shake the dust off your sandals and move on to a place that will accept it. And sometimes we have to come to the place where we do that. But I think inherent in what Jesus says here and the rest of scripture, if we come to the place of doing that, we better make sure we have some pretty compelling reasons. And even more, we do that as a last resort. We do that with the heaviest heart of grief and pain and anguish. It is Jesus praying over Jerusalem, lamenting over the Jerusalem that has rejected him. And he says, how often I've wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks and you won't let me. He weeps. It's breaking his heart. It's not, you reject God, can't wait to see what you're going to get. But rather, God, be merciful. Don't give up. Be compassionate. And maybe when we are rejected and our message is rejected, maybe it's in that moment when we really prove that we are an agent of forgiveness. That we stick with people just a little bit longer. I mean, isn't that what we saw in Exodus 33? In Exodus 34, God describes himself, as he does a number of times, as God of compassion and love, unending faithfulness and mercy to generation after generation. And in this passage of Exodus 33, he's having this conversation with Moses And he says, I'll have compassion on who I have compassion and mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Often that's interpreted as, I will withhold compassion and mercy anytime I want to. I think God is saying, Moses, don't tell me who I can't have compassion who I can have compassion on, who I can't. If I want to be compassionate toward those people, I will. If I want to forgive them, I will. If I want to have mercy to them, I will. Because we know when we read the scriptures, God is far more compassionate and merciful than any of us will ever dream of being. And it's that heart of compassion and love for people who even reject him. That proves our willingness to be agents of forgiveness. This is the risky part of doing this. Forgiveness is is the risk of love. Any relationship we're in, if it's a healthy, loving relationship, forgiveness is going to be a part of it, period. We all know that. Because human beings hurt each other. Human beings disappoint one another. And any relationship, a marriage relationship, a dating relationship husband, uh, parent, child, sibling, friends, doesn't make any difference. If it's a healthy, loving relationship, forgiveness is gonna be a part of it. And forgiveness is always a risk. Because when we forgive, we are putting ourselves out there with people. And they may hurt us again, disappoint us again. And we keep forgiving. And forgiveness doesn't mean we ignore the wrong. It just means that we're more interested in reconciliation than we are holding on to a grudge. And forgiveness is always about the risk of love. I think maybe that's why Jesus, when he appears to them, shows them his, the nail prints in his hands and the, the spear print in his side. And in essence, I sense he's saying to them, look, what I'm calling you to do is more than likely going to end in this. We wish that when we love people, when we're compassionate toward people, that they would fall down for us and say, thank you so much for telling me this is awesome. And sometimes we get to enjoy that privilege. But a lot of the time, that's not the response we get. A lot of the time, it's rejection and it's pain and it's hurt. Because when evil is confronted with love, usually it responds with Hate. And often, the response to love is not a warm embrace. It's rejection, it's pushing away. I don't want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to care. I don't want to know about Jesus. I don't care about God. And it's again in those moments when the test of our love and being agents of forgiveness comes to the forefront. Are we willing to love and be compassionate and and offer the grace of God even in rejection? And I'm convinced that it's at this point when our love and our forgiveness and being agents of forgiveness is most tested that it is most important that we understand the role of the Holy Spirit in this whole process. It seems it isn't a coincidence that before Jesus sends them out, he says, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathes on them. What, I, what comes to my mind is he talks about breathing on them. It, it reminds me of God breathing life into Adam in the garden when he creates him. It reminds me of Ezekiel 37 as God looks over this huge valley of dry bones and he breathes his spirit into the bones and they come alive. Now Jesus breathes on the disciples and something begins to stir in them And it seems that it it comes to its fruition in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, about 50 days later, when the Holy Spirit comes in all his fullness on the disciples. And it is amazing the difference in them pre Pentecost and post Pentecost. Pre Pentecost, they've locked themselves in a room in fear of the Jews. Post-Pentecost, they're out on every street corner proclaiming the name of Jesus. When they get arrested, they keep proclaiming the name of Jesus. And eventually, almost every single disciple becomes a martyr. And their attitude and their, and their witness is transformed through the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, none of us are good enough, smart enough, loving enough, compassionate enough, caring enough to be agents of forgiveness on our own. This is not going to happen. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God's Spirit in us to invigorate us and to give us life and enable us to be agents of forgiveness to each other and to this world. Because we can't do it without Christ. And our prayer every day, every moment needs to be, Lord, keep filling me with your spirit. I surrender more of myself to you. I give more of myself to you. Keep working in me. Keep changing me. Let your spirit keep moving in me because I want to be an agent of forgiveness and I cannot do it by myself. But with the spirit in us, it's amazing the things that can happen. With the Spirit in us, we become the most hopeful people in the world. I mean, there, there, there should be nobody in the world who lives with more, more of a sense of hope than people who are filled with the Spirit of the resurrected Christ. Because we celebrate Christ who conquered death and who overcame evil. It was an answer for sin. And injustice, that's who we worship. And so we go into a situation, and and we try to be agents of forgiveness through the power of the Spirit. However people respond, we have hope. Because even if we don't see God at work, we know He's at work. And we believe, and we trust, and we have the hope of the risen Christ. And that changes everything. And this call to be agents of forgiveness in the church and outside the church that sometimes feels so overwhelming and so despairing is actually a gift of God. We get to be agents of forgiveness. And whether we see it or not, we believe because of the risen Christ that what we do makes a difference. That our presence in the world is used by God. That our willingness to sacrifice and to love and and, and to go the second mile and to be compassionate and to speak truth and to care about justice. All of the ways in which we become agents of forgiveness in the world that quite often seem like a, a drop of water in the ocean makes a difference because Christ is risen and the Spirit is at work in us. It's the mission of the church. And it's a huge responsibility, but it's also an awesome privilege. N.T. Wright talks about when he was a bishop, He every summer they would take a, uh, a large group of teenagers and go to some of the northeastern cities of England. And they would spend their week in the mornings teaching the scriptures to these young people and in the afternoons doing service projects. At the evening, they'd have big celebration rallies and, and invite people and try to bring people to Christ. And he so said one of his favorite parts of the week was the afternoons doing the service projects. And this one year they went to a town, an old, one of the old towns in that part of England that was run down. And they went to one of the seediest places in that town. And they began to fix up the alleys behind the streets in the seedy part of town. They began to paint all kinds of bright colors and clean and work. And they put up flower pots all along the street and in that alley. And people began to come out of their homes into the alley, which is something they didn't do because of all the stuff that went on in those alleyways. And they came out and they were a little nervous. They said, are you guys from the government? And they said, how much is this going to cost us? And these teenagers said, "Them, no, it didn't cost you anything. We're from the church. This is our gift to you. It's our present. And they were just astounded. But he said, that wasn't the end of it. A year later, they went back and that's those same alleys that had been places nobody went, now in those same alleys, people were planting gardens. They were getting together for community barbecues. They were building relationships when before they would just hide out in their homes, afraid to go anywhere. And he said, the most amazing thing was that one of the lay workers from their church moved into that neighborhood. And because of everything the church had done, now, when he speaks about Jesus, they listen. And that whole community is being transformed by the power of Christ. As individuals, as the church, we are going to be a witness to each other and to the world. The question is what kind of witness are we going to be? Do we look more like a judge sentencing people? Or do we look like more like medics in a field hospital on the edge of the battle? I'm praying that God will help us be agents of forgiveness as individuals, as a church, as a wider community for His glory and for the lives of people he loves. Father, we thank you for your call upon our lives and upon the church. Give us grace to with joy hear your call to accept your commission and through your spirits be agents of forgiveness in, in the church. And outside the walls of the church. Through the grace of Christ. Amen.